morning, everybody. Won't you all join us for Your Love Never Fails? things 
joy comes in the morning And when the oceans rage I don't have to be afraid Because I know that you love me Your love never one person band here. That's great. Good morning. Have a seat for a second. My name is John Arweas and I've just got a few uh, quick announcements. Um, youth group meets tonight at 530 at uh, Don and Cindy Anderson's home. And I guess they can check with you on where Don and Cindy Anderson's home is. Oh. If, do I qualify as youth? <laughs> no. Uh, women's Ministry Game Night, Monday, August 24th at 6.30 in the Family Life Center, a.k.a. Cafeteria. I, I always ask, what is, where's the Family Life Center? What's the address for that? Uh, if you have questions, please ask uh, Rebecca. Um, baptism, we are planning to have a baptism in the next few weeks, so if you're interested or like more information, please uh, call the church office. Pray, uh, family Prayer, this is formerly called Corporate Prayer will be held Tuesday, August 25th at 5.30 um, here. And uh, the, this is a really good announcement, especially for all of you out in TV land. The new normal gets closer to the old normal next week where we have coffee and snacks again. Yes. Awesome. I know. My favorite announcement. Um, one last thing. I just <coughs> wanted to share something with you that I came across, and I am going to look for somebody to volunteer to, to volunteer. Oh, thank you. Appreciate you, you doing that. Here, can, I, can you stand up for just a second? You kind of suck at this. I mean, maybe remind me not to ask you to do skits. Okay, that wasn't fair because he didn't even know I was going to do that. So the point I'm making about that is that um, in Romans uh, 10, 14, 15, Paul says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? So, you know, as we get tired, we look around and we see the condition of things and we just see a lot of, it's easy to say, just a lot of non-believers who are living outside of the truth, fail to recognize the truth that we know is Jesus. Um, how can we be so indignant about that? About their, then their lifestyles don't line up with ours if they know little to nothing about Jesus, and uh, how can we expect them to live by the word when in 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, and lastly, are we modeling that Christian lifestyle and displaying a confident joy 
that would entice a non-believer to want to know what we have. So how can they be saved if they don't know the good news about the salvation? I, I am a salesman by trade, but we all work by commission, the great commission, right? We're all sent, not just Shane and not just Gary and not just the elders and Alan. Uh, we're all called to do that. And uh, doesn't need any Bible training, case in point, the woman at the well who, if you remember that story, immediately went to tell all the people in her town about Jesus. What training did she have? The blind man who, having ha had his sight restored and was being grilled by the church leadership, answered, one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. So we simply need to tell people the good news, that Jesus loves them and died for them, and then trust that the Spirit will do, as Jesus promised, will do the rest. Um, so my hope and prayer is that each of us has that, that is blessed today with that opportunity. So Paul finishes Romans 10, 15 by saying, that is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. So let's all go out and show off our beautiful feet today. Let's stand and continue worship. Won't you join us for only Jesus?
Yeah. 
God is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord, your presence, Lord. Let us become Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. And Father, you said in your, in your prayer that um, eternal life is this, to know God the Father and your Son, Jesus Christ. And I just pray that today um, and everybody at home, that uh, they would get a taste of that. They'd get a chance to really grasp the idea and the reality of your presence, Father. And as you will it, Father, just rain down on all of them and uh, make your presence known in their lives. We love you, and uh, please uh, bless the words as spoken by Barry today, and that we would all be convicted in time. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Uh, you probably noticed me scurrying around here a little bit this morning. We've had, I've had, some technical difficulties with the uh, device that I wanted to get my sermon on. So hopefully I've got it all figured out. We'll see. I think so. Anyway, uh, really good to be back. I was here last week, but uh, I don't know. It just felt a little discombobulated to me. Um, been up in Alaska uh, for four weeks, and uh, one of the cool things there was I had a chance to go to service at the church, um, South Tongass Alliance Church, where uh, I was first called to be an elder many years ago. And uh, right before I left, we started, we took this leap of faith to buy a piece of land. And uh, I got there in time to be part of about the third service that they had in a new building. That it's taken them, I've been gone up there 14 years, so 15, 16 years to build the building, and uh, they did it free of debt, mostly with volunteer labor and uh, donated stuff, and it it was really cool. Um, they'd been meeting in a school until then, and so they always had to set up and then take down. People weren't too sure what to do with themselves after service because they didn't have chairs to move. Um, and the pastor was happy because he said, now I don't have to worry about being out of here by a certain time. I can talk as long as I want. <laughs> that went over well. So anyway, good to be back. Um, let me start first with um, uh, the words. I always like to start a sermon like this with uh, Psalm 1914. King David said, 
Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So um, I have titled this sermon today, Be Alert, Rough Road Ahead. And you'll notice it's the whole chapter, Mark 13. We're probably, in fact, almost certainly not going to cover that whole thing today. But when we, Shane and I were looking at it and getting uh, into it, studying it, we realized it, it sort of bounces around. There's no clean division place in there. And so we're going to treat it all as one big block of text and take however long we need to cover it. At least two, maybe three weeks. But let's, uh, let's start by just uh, by reading it. And you know what? I, I didn't print the whole thing here. Um, <laughs> let me have your Bible, Tammy. I think I put it on the slides and I forgot to print it for me. Okay, so uh, if you have a Bible with you, get it out. If not, we should have uh, the words on the screen. Chapter 13 of Mark. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you, do not be anxious beforehand about what you are to say. But say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter, for in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been seen from the beginning of the creation that God created until now, and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would, have, would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. 
and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Thanks, Mike. Okay. So, as we go through the chapter, uh, we're going to do a little bit of historical uh, looking here because it's, it's fascinating and it really helps to get a grasp of what Jesus is, uh, is talking about here. So let's look at what I think of the easy part first. That's the first two verses. And as he came out of the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Did you ever have a time when you were really impressed by something, maybe for the wrong reason? One of the things that came to my mind getting ready for this was um, in Ketchikan, living on the ocean and you're on an island. If you want to do anything, you better have a boat. I mean, there's just, there's no road system to speak of. Um, the rainforest is so thick that it's hard to walk through it. I mean, you, you just, you need a boat, especially the fish are running. Um, so anyway, when we first got up there, we, we got a boat. It was a 19-foot runabout. It was really fast. It was really good. But we expanded our family. We ended up having um, three kids after we adopted the girls. And, and to go camping in that little boat, it meant piling all your stuff. And I mean, it, it, we filled it. And then we'd try to find a cabin out someplace, and uh, it just was a lot. So then we bought, we went and got a bigger boat. We got a uh, 24-foot boat that uh, it had a little table in it, and it had a little, little propane stove. And if you really cramped, you could get everybody in there to camp. And it had a great area in the back to fish from, and it was, it was actually a pretty, pretty good boat. But then I saw this 28-foot boat for sale. And it was so cool. I mean, it had room for everybody to sleep. It had a command bridge. You could get up on top and see the steer. And it, it was just, you know, it looked so cool. And it was for sale. It would sleep us all. And, and uh, so ultimately, we bought that boat. Mostly because it looked really great. Well, when we got the boat and started using it, we found out... Um, it was still pretty hard to get everybody in there to sleep. Kids didn't always want to go out anyway. 
it drank gas like a pig. I mean, it, uh, it literally got about one mile to the gallon. It carried 129 gallons. I remember one weekend we went out for, and, and of course I bought it right after about the time that, or right about the time gas prices went. And uh, anyway, it just turned out to be not the greatest thing because it was bought by me based on appearances. And I was telling everybody what a great boat I was going to get because of its appearance. And that's kind of what's happening here with, uh, with the disciples. They're, they're walking out of the temple. And uh, I, somewhere in here we've got a picture. Uh, yeah, that's a model of uh, the temple as it appeared um, back then. It, and it was a, a very, very cool, um, cool building. So if we look at the context of this passage, Jesus has just finished, um, we think about a week, what we think of as Holy Week before Easter um, in, in today's calendar. Um, he's been at the temple and he's been teaching. He started out um, in Mark eleven fifteen seventeen. I might have skipped ahead on the slides, guys, sorry. Um, but in eleven fifteen to seventeen, uh, he talks about they talk about uh, his um, interaction with the money changers. It says, and they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons, and he did not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple, and he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written? My house shall be called a den of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. After that, we saw him rebuke the Pharisees and the scribes multiple times um, because they kept trying to trap him. They refused to recognize his authority and his identity as, as the, the son of man. or the, That's what he called himself, the son of man. What he was really saying is the son of God, the Christ. Um, they remember they had one one that tried to trick him into into saying they shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar, and he he fooled them with saying you know render what to Caesar what Caesar and to God what is God's. Um, they tried to trap him with what's the greatest commandment, and he handled that very well. And then in uh, Mark twelve thirty eight to forty, we see him really call out the scribes because of their pretentious behavior. Um, in 1238, he says, and in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts and who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. After that, the, we looked at what Travis looked at last week with the widow and her small contribution to the treasury but it was from all she had. And he used that to describe the difference between appearances and the heart. So for a week, he's been teaching these, and these disciples have been with him that whole time. He's been showing them how what's inside the temple, the leadership and its inner workings, is corrupt. It's just not, not the way it should be. It's spiritually dead. And then on the way out, one of the disciples is bragging it up about how great the temple is because of its magnificent appearance. And it was impressive. 
Those beautiful buildings were the result of a renovation project begun by Herod the Great back in uh, 20 BC. He'd been placed in charge as the governor of the area. He wanted to get along with the Jews, but he also wanted to make a statement about his own grandeur. So he took on this project of, of um, building up the Jewish temple, making it greater than it was. He rebuilt the second temple from the foundations up. He doubled the size of the Temple Mount, added impressive new structures. So at the time that we're in right now, when Jesus is talking to the disciples, the construction had been underway for over 50 years, and it would continue for another 34 years until the Jewish revolt in A.D. 64. The stones which impressed the disciples were pretty, pretty impressive. Um, they found some, one foundation stone discovered in the western retaining wall measures 40 feet long by 11 feet high by 15 feet wide, and it weighs nearly 600 tons. One stone. I'd kind of like to have been there to see how they moved it. They got it in place. They sure didn't have all the equipment that we have today. But Jesus was really, he's pretty impatient with these guys. Um, his answer reflects the, the, the relative in unimportance of the temple, that it's destined for destruction. He responded by saying, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be throw down, thrown down. And this was fulfilled in AD 70. If we, I think we've got some pictures of that too. You can see what it looks like today. The Romans destroyed Jerusalem and they set the temple on fire. This rock doesn't burn, but all the stuff inside it did. Um, there were large quantities of gold in the temple, and a lot of it melted down, and when it did, it seeped down into the cracks in between all these stones. And you've got all these Roman soldiers decided they want that gold. So they, they moved all the stones. And when it cooled down, they systematically, stone by stone, went through it to get that gold. Now, this statement is pretty shocking to the, to the disciples. Um, the Jews at the time looked at the temple literally is the heart of Israel. Uh, if you go back into First um, Kings and read Saul, the account of Solomon dedicating the temple, and God appeared to him and said, as long as you follow my commands and obey me, I will make my presence here. This temple is where my name will dwell. And that's how the Jews regarded the temple. That was, that was the home of the name of God. It was uh, very, very important to them and to them, the idea that Israel could exist without the temple, that just couldn't happen. Um, no temple meant no Israel. So the rest of this chapter takes place after they leave the temple. They walk across the valley, and now they're sitting on the Mount of Olives. Um, this has been called the Olivet Discourse by Bible scholars. Um, and it's a really heavily debated piece of scripture. When I read it, I initially was thought, wow. How do you, because so much of it, it's hard to tell sometimes whether Jesus is talking about the temple or end times or, and in the debates or people that take both sides, biblical scholars. Um, I, was, I was sort of, uh, oh, maybe relieved, at least a little bit reassured. I found something um, where uh, R.C. Sproul, who was one of the, the greatest, was, he's, he's passed now, but one of the greatest Bible teachers of this uh, age. And he calls this one of the most difficult passages to interpret in the entire canon of Scripture. 
made me feel a little bit better about struggling with it, but it uh, also added to my feelings of being a little bit inadequate to do it. Um, and one of the reasons of the debate is um, towards the end of the discourse in verse 30, Jesus states that the current generation, the people that he's talking to, will not pass away until all these things take place. Well, that has, has made it so some readers have, have taken that to mean that all things described in the chapter were prophesied to take place before that generation died. And since that generation is long gone and Jesus has not returned, then therefore Jesus' words must be wrong and Scripture cannot be trusted, right? No, that's not right. And, and we know that. So we think, well, there's got to be another way of looking at this. Um, there's really two things going on in this chapter. Two events being foretold by Jesus. One is the fall and destruction of Jer Jerusalem and with it the temple. The other is the returning glory of Christ the King which is to happen at a time only known to the Father. So we start in verse 3. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Now, one good thing, that for me anyway, is that the Olivet Discord is also recorded by both Matthew and Luke. And it's really helpful when we find something like that that more than one gospel writer tells about because they usually have a little bit different perspective on it. And when you look at all two, you know, two or three different perspectives from just different gospel writers, you can sort of get a little bit better idea how everything fits together. Um, in, in Matthew, Luke, Luke says it about the same way that Mark does. But in Matthew, it's a little different. In Matthew um, chapter 24 and then verse 3, it says, As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Matthew divides it into two questions. These things, meaning the destruction of the temple, and then the return of Jesus at the end of the age. Remember, in the mind of the disciples, the destruction of the temple and the end of Israel and the coming of Christ the King, those are all, that's all together. They can't imagine a destruction of the temple before the return of the King. Because in, in the, the Jewish thought, the Messiah was coming to break the bondage of the military rulers that were oppressing Israel. They, they still, at this point, don't get it that the Messiah came to break the bondage of sin. They're looking for him to lead the Jewish people out of oppression by the Romans as a glorious leader, but as a glorious general, not, not a savior as we know him. So Jesus' answer is framed in a way to let them and us know that the two events are not the same. One will occur very soon, meaning the destruction. And when I say very soon, remember, they're speaking towards the end of Jesus' life. So there's somewhere around 32, 33 A.D. The destruction of the temple happens in, in 70 A.D., so about 40 years down the road. In terms of Bible and history and all that, that's pretty, pretty soon. Um, 
that was under the uh, general Titus. And then the other event is in the distant future. We still haven't seen that happen. Jesus began to say to them, and this is verse 5, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. And I, I highlighted that there. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. Um, we have uh, the advantage of an ancient historian named Josephus that was uh, present at the siege of Jerusalem. And he has written uh, extensive historical documents that we rely on a lot. He was uh, a Jew that ended up becoming part of the Roman uh, forces. He was not a Christian. So we're getting um, a truly historical perspective from someone who was not, uh, he's not in any way writing a biased picture because he's, he wasn't a believer to begin with. But some of the things that he told us about are um, um, in line with what Jesus is saying in scriptures. Um, there were multiple insurrectionists going at that time. So when Jesus talks about um, false prophets, false messiahs, remember that to uh, the Jewish people, the Messiah is somebody that will lead them out of bondage, right? This is a military leader. There were multiple people that stood up and tried to get people to follow them, to say, hey, I'm the one to lead you out of here. Just do what I say. One of them was a guy named Theodos, there was one called Judas the Galilean and uh, another Egyptian. I don't know what his name was. And then others came later because they were looking for a military vanquisher. Jesus, um, I think, is clearly telling the disciples at this point that um, the, he's not describing his return. He says the end is not yet. And these are just the beginning of birth pains. So the events that he's describing at, at this point, are to take place before the destruction of the temple, between when he is crucified, which they probably still don't get yet either, and his, uh, the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. Um, and he goes on in verse 9 with a warning that even though this doesn't represent the end, there are still tribulations and persecutions coming for the early Christians. He says in 9, be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So he's talking about something that's going to happen about 40 years after he's speaking, and he's talking about what will happen to the early church in that interval. It's also a message of hope, because he's telling them the Spirit will be with you, which he tells us later, tells the disciples, that's the same as saying, I, Jesus, will be with you. Um, 
in when he talks about people being delivered uh, for trial, for counsel, two of the most well-known we can think of would have fit right into this time period. Jesus is describing the time period when Paul stood in front of uh, the Roman emperor when he was sent to Rome in chains. And also Peter was delivered um, into Rome and uh, was put on trial. Although those things happened before the destruction of the temple. So back to history. In 54 AD, this is again, this is after Jesus is gone, but it's before the destruction of the temple, Nero ascended to the throne in Rome, became the emperor. He was, he's still known today. You know, near, we, we have the legend about Nero fiddling while Rome burned. There weren't any fiddles back then, but um, he was an incredibly cruel leader. He was monstrous. And his, even in Rome, his um, his debauchery, his sexual orgies, the, the things that he did, it disgusted the Roman citizens. They couldn't do anything about it. But he was not uh, not somebody, he wasn't a nice guy. In 64 AD, right about the time that the insurrection is starting in Jerusalem, there was a massive fire in Rome. Um, from what I read, Fires weren't that uncommon in Rome because of the way they built things, but this one was huge. And it took out a huge amount of the city, including Nero's home. And um, a lot of political stuff, fallout came about that, and Nero thought he was in, in uh, jeopardy of losing his hold on things. So his plan became, well, I'm going to blame this on the Christians. And that's what happened. He blamed it on the Christians. The rest of the Roman citizenry followed that. And there was a period of persecution that came about that was, you know, I don't know if you've heard stories, Nero actually had Christians tied to stakes and burned in his gardens as lamps for the parties that he was throwing. Um, there were just some horrible things that happened, and a lot of people did turn, people were so scared that if they had a family member that was a Christian, they would turn him into the government so that the soldiers wouldn't come and endanger the whole family. Um, there were a lot of brother-against-brother, family-against-family things that happened. In Jerusalem itself, the political unrest that was going on, you had factions that were so tired of um, the Roman domination that they were trying to start civil wars. Well, they didn't all agree on that. You had um, several factions within the Jewish people actually fighting against each other inside of Jerusalem. Um, so again, family against family, brother against brother, wars, um, famine. One of the things that happened, it's, it, it's ironic, because of all the fighting that was going on in Jerusalem, their water supply was pretty much impregnable. The Romans couldn't get to the aqueduct system that they had. They were in pretty good shape. But in all the infighting that was going on, one of the battles, they ended up setting fire to a big storage house full of grain that had, uh, Josephus said, enough grain to have sustained the city for several years. And that happened right before the, Germ the Germans, <laughs> before the Romans came and surrounded the city. So they, their own infighting greatly reduced their ability to withstand a siege because they burned up a big amount of the food they had on hand that might have helped them to, to last longer. So um, in about 68, or 
uh, about, yeah, 66, I think, when things were getting bad in Jerusalem, um, there was a general named Vespasian who had conquered a lot of Europe and was seen as a pretty, pretty good leader. And so Nero, uh, Josephus called this one of the last sane acts that Nero did was he put Vespasian in charge of a bunch of uh, Roman legions and sent him to Jerusalem to put down this rebellion. And uh, he started in on that and made some progress. In 68 AD, Nero died, and Vespasian had become so popular that they made him emperor. So Vespasian gets recalled to Rome, left his son, Titus, who had been with him the whole time, in charge and, uh, of, of taking care of the rest of the siege. And I don't want to drag on here forever. So um, it's fascinating stuff to me when, when history ties in with the Bible. Um, I just really, really like that. It took Titus more than two years to finish the siege, to achieve victory. Um, the Jewish were fighters. The Jews, they, would, they were guerrilla fighters. They would come out from the walls at night and do things in the arm, to the armies. Uh, they burned their uh, siege engines. They uh, poured burning, they'd lure them into these little passages inside the walls of the city and then pour burning oil down on the top of them. And they had nowhere to run to. They were trapped. Um, they did not make it easy. Um, so af after those uh, next two years in, in 70, they finally accomplished it. So let's look at uh, the next verse of Jesus' words to the disciples. And um, I'm not going to get a whole lot farther in Mark than this, but he says, When you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. This is another one of the verses that is debated over that people say it means it's pointing towards Revelation and towards the end times. But when Jesus says, let the reader understand, the only thing that was there to be read at the time was Daniel. He's referring to the prophecy in Daniel in um, chapter 11, verse 29 of Daniel. It says, at the time appointed, and he's talking about a king of uh, the north, he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before. Um, for ships of Kittim, which was Rome, shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and he shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the Holy Covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. That's from Daniel. It was written, um, well, it was written before, I, I want to say four or 500 B.C. But he's referring to Antiochus IV, who was the king of Syria. And this is stuff that has already happened in the past by the time Jesus is talking. In 168 B.C., Antiochus tried to conquer Egypt which was a Roman-held territory. While he was trying to do that, the Rome sent ships and the navy, and they ran Antiochus out. Well, while that's happening in Egypt, the people in Jerusalem, or Israel, who are also under the rule of uh, Antiochus, they hear that he's getting beat, and they think, hey, this is the time. We're going to get out from under his rule. It didn't work out so well for him. Um, Antiochus had to leave Egypt in defeat, but then he heard what's happening in Jerusalem, so he just kept going down there. And he was pretty angry by the time he got down there. And uh, he 
ended up going into the temple and uh, destroying a lot of the uh, artifacts. And he actually set up an altar in the temple and uh, offered sacrifices to the Roman god Zeus, or Greek god Zeus, I guess. Roman would be Jupiter. But he profaned the altar in the holy place. He offered a pig, of all things, which is unclean to the Jewish people, as a sacrifice inside their temple. That's the abomination that Jesus was was referring to there. But then he's also saying that there's going to be another abomination. And that was um, that was accomplished when Titus and his soldiers walked into the temple with their standards. They had uh, these military standards that had all the symbols of Rome on them. And in the temple, then, they offered sacrifices to their gods in A.D. 70. Um, so there's a lot of this to be, uh, a lot of stuff in here to digest. Like I said, I find the history to be pretty fascinating when you can read a uh, different perspective. Ar- archaeology, it's amazing to me. There's so many things that, as they dig, they find that don't contradict the Bible. They confirm the Bible. And it's really been uh, an interesting thing. So after this passage, after, you know, after Jesus gets talking, right, done talking about this point, he does start talking about his coming. But I'm going to let Shane deal with that because we're running out of time. And uh, a- again, the disciples thought they were asking one question, but they were really referring to two different events. And so Jesus treats it that way. But I did want to look real quick. Um, about what I think the Holy Spirit would have us take away from reading um, and, and studying on this. The first thing is, don't make judgments and decisions based strictly on appearances. You might end up with a boat that you don't like, or find out that you know the person that you're thinking badly about, if you don't know their heart, you really don't have any way to judge them. But the same thing, that's where, you know, with the temple, the, the disciples saw this great, glorious piece of, of human um, construction. Jesus saw something that was dead on the inside and would be destroyed. Secondly, we need to be discerning. We need to um, be reading the Scripture, listening to the Word of God, and we don't want to let ourselves be led astray by false teachings. And they're out there. They're out there today. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit. We don't have to have fear or anxiety dictate the things that we say and do. Jesus is faithful. The Spirit is faithful. And he will be there when we're called to task or when we need to defend the faith. Lastly, and this has more to do, I think, with the end times, but all the same, we need to be alert. We need to stay awake and live today as if the return of Christ was going to occur imminently, today or tomorrow. The last part of this book says nobody knows the time, not even the Son, only the Father. So, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that um, even in this day, 2,000 years later, we can point to history, we can point to archaeology, And we can show those who don't believe um, your word, Lord, that it is true, that it did happen just the way you described it. 
Lord, as we go into this uh, world around us, we pray that you would help us be a good witness to you, that you would uh, help us as we're called to task by uh, civil authorities, if need be, or um, by even just, just friends around us uh, asking us to defend what we believe, that you would give us the words, Lord, and the tools to help turn the hearts of those toward you. Um, we're so thankful, God, for your, for your Savior, saving grace of Jesus and uh, the knowledge, Lord, that you are with us whenever we go into rough times. So we thank you, Lord. We look forward to what you have for us, and uh, we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Won't you join us for our final song, uh, Revelation?
God, your hands are just so massive and huge that you hold the entire world, the entire creation in your hands. And not a thing goes by that you don't see and that your wisdom doesn't guide and um, your sovereignty doesn't remain. And So we rest in that, Father, and we love you for it and we thank you. And uh, no matter what happens today or tomorrow, I pray that we will just continue to seek your face and continue to Live out this great commission as it was said. And we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.